recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Tristagenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, January 24, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and I thank you for listening. I'd like to say real quick that um, <clears throat> I've had problems with Stream 4 at Christian here. It's on a new server, and I've had some firewall issues, and quite often the stream's been down because nothing can penetrate the firewall. I'm trying to clear that up. It's an ongoing problem, and, and um, it, it's the server configuration, and I, I, I know how to change it, but it just, the change isn't permanent. I don't understand why. Something else is going on in, in a script somewhere that I have to find. Stream 2 was down for a while before the program tonight. It's up now and, and functioning. Tonight is, um, we're going to present Walking the Walk, Part 4, and it's subtitled Bible or Bureaucracy, and, and I have a somewhat I have an introduction of somewhat moderate length, and then I will introduce Brother Ryan, who is here with me this evening. I just um, had to get him on the phone because I haven't done that yet. I apologize for that. While it is barely evident in script, hello, hello Ryan. While it is, Hello, bro. I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I, I'm trying to do my introduction. I have too much on my mind. And I was distracted and almost forgot to call you. That's all right. Thank you. While it is um, fairly evident in Scripture, and, and this is important to understand the big picture of history and, and in concert with the big picture of the Bible, as well as all of the little details. Once upon a time, the white Adamic race lived under the rule of something which the Bible later calls the Melchizedek priesthood. The word Melchizedek basically means Righteousness is my king. Sometimes it's interpreted to mean king of righteousness. That doesn't seem to be quite grammatically as correct, but that's fine. That this priesthood was represented in the natural patriarchy of man, of Adamic man, is evident in places such as 2 Peter, chapter 2, where the apostle refers to Noah as the eighth preacher of righteousness, as well as in the contextual progression of the biblical accounts of Scripture in which a patriarchal society <clears throat> is very clearly portrayed in the historical portions of Scripture. This Melchizedek priesthood is mentioned in Psalms and in Paul's epistle to the Hebrews. And in both the prophecy and the epistle, we are informed that Jesus Christ himself is the new Melchizedek priest. Of course, Joshua Christ, being the firstborn among many brethren, 
and being Yahweh God incarnate, he alone is the ultimate patriarch of our white Adamic race. In Genesis chapter 10, and these antidotes are there for a very good reason, sometime between the reestablishment of the Adamic Oikumene after the flood and the call of Abraham, a descendant of Ham named Nimrod merited special attention among the families of Genesis 10 because he had asserted rule over the other people of his own kindred. And we read in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Yahweh. So Nimrod's name <laughs> that became um, synonymous with, with, with the idea of a mighty hunter. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Calneh in the land of Shinar, later known as Sumer, later known as Babylonia. Out of that land went forth Asher and built Nineveh and the city Rehoboth and Kala and Resin between Nineveh and Kala, the same as a great city. The land of Nimrod's empire was later called the land of Cush in scripture after Nimrod's father. Ostensibly, at its height, it encompassed Mesopotamia and extended as far as the border of Egypt. During this time, if we look at the inscriptions of the rest of the world, the serpent was a symbol of kingship, not only in Egypt, but also in Sumer, Akkad, and among the Hittites. The Canaanite tribes had become very influential in the later manifestations of the empire of Nimrod. And around the same time that Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldees, nearby Babylon was being ruled by Canaanite kings. And 1,200 years between the flood of Noah and the call of Abraham, those 1,200 years were anything but peaceful. They were racked by competitive wars between the Amorites, the Amalekites, Horites, Hittites, Egyptians, Syrians, Elamites, Sumerians, and Assyrians, as well as other tribes. It is evident from both the Bible and from Mesopotamian literature that Rephaim, the Nephilim, such as Gilgamesh and Agabashan, had come to rule over the cities of Mesopotamia and the Levant. In fact, Gilgamesh was the king of Iraq. Sometime in the middle of the 20, of, of the 3rd century B.C., or about 2500 B.C., Gilgamesh was a historical figure, and a Rethane, who was the king of Iraq, which was originally one of the cities of Nimrod's empire. Abraham was basically called out of that mess with the, which the ancient world had become. <laughs> 
because Nimrod and his successors had abandoned the way of righteousness. They abandoned subservience to the Melchizedek priesthood, esteeming themselves to be gods and asserting rule by force over their fellow Adamic brethren. With the entire Adamic world abandoning, abandoning Yahweh, and we even learn in, in the book of Joshua that Abraham's own fathers were pagans. With the entire Adamic world abandoning Yahweh, Abraham was told that his seed would inherit the world. And believing God, he was justified. We can trace the sons of Abraham through history to find that this promise has long ago been fulfilled. Even though some of his descendants mixed with the world's other races, contrary to God's laws, that mixing has caused them to be cursed rather than blessed. The beginnings of those curses are recorded in the scripture. Therefore, the promises to Jacob were passed down to Jacob and his 12 sons, who at that time were only a tiny portion of the much greater Adamic race. The assurance that apart from Abraham's other sons, they would be the rightful heirs of the promises to Abraham were also apart from any obligations of their own. The promises were unconditional because the promise to Abraham was unconditional. However, in addition to those promises, the children of Israel were offered a kingdom, and with that kingdom, they were assured world hegemony and perpetual peace based on the concept that Yahweh their God would be their king and that they would keep his law. And with Yahweh God as their king, they would rule the world which they inherited. To one degree or another, the children of Israel lived in this manner <clears throat> until the days of Samuel. And as many um, colonies of the children of Israel at this time, which are evident in history, but not even recorded in Scripture. <clears throat> when they saw, when the children of Israel in Palestine saw that the sons of Samuel were unrighteous, rather than turning to God, they sought an earthly king, as the other nations which surrounded them had earthly kings. Now, those earthly kings of the other nations were, at that time, mostly Canaanite successors to various portions of the empire of Nimrod. <clears throat> Samuel was troubled, but Yahweh told him that he would indeed allow them an earthly king not because they rejected Samuel or his sons, but because in reality they had rejected God himself. This is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8, but even this was already foreseen in the prophecy within the law itself in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Yahweh foresaw that the children of Israel would one day do this when Deuteronomy was written. When the children of Israel could not keep the laws of Yahweh, even under an earthly king, they were condemned to a period of seven times of punishment. 
reading Daniel and the Revelation, that punishment is fully manifest in the 2,500 years of tyranny that held the children of Israel captive under the beast empires and the papacy of Rome. At the first advent of Christ, the children of Israel were only about 700 years into their period of punishment. And the word of God has to be fulfilled. So they had about 1,800 years of punishment left in spite of the fact that their Messiah had come. Understanding that situation, Paul of Tarsus in Romans chapter 13 explained that worldly governments were meant to be a punishment from God for those who do wickedly, but that those who love God and sought to do good would have approval even from those governments. When the children of Israel were released from the 2,500-year tyranny of earthly kings, they entered into a period, and this is absolutely clear in history, they entered into a period of what they perceived, and what, strangely, people still perceive, as self-government. Now, for over 200 years, throughout the nations formerly known as Christendom, the children of Israel have supposedly ruled themselves. And the end of them is far worse than the beginning. The founders of parliamentary democracies and constitutional republics sought blessings, and all that they have received is curses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 24, Paul of Tarsus attests that at the consummation of the age of Christ, that he should hand over the kingdom to Yahweh, who is also the Father, when he shall abolish all rule. The word is arche. It, it denotes the, the, the rulership of men in this world. All rule and all license. The word is exousia. It denotes license, the license to rule over, over men, or power, or authority by itself. Or dunamis, which is power in 1 Corinthians 15.24, and that's exactly what it means. The power which, which governments and men have over others. He shall abolish, abolish all rule and all license or authority and all power. In Matthew chapter 11, Christ appeals to his disciples, and he says, agreeing with Paul, or Paul was really agreeing with Christ, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me. He's not saying wait before you come unto me. He's not saying wait until you die. He's not saying wait until the resurrection. He's saying it now. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek 
and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And of course, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. That's what this is all about. That's what it was all about from the very beginning, long before even the time of Nimrod. Men have a choice, a choice which Christ himself has offered them, and they have that choice now. They can continue to volunteer themselves into the governments of man, or they can seek the government of Yahweh our God. Seeking the government of God, Christians should not judge one another according to the precepts of men, but rather they should judge one another according to the laws of Yahweh. Christians must not seek to uphold unrighteous governments. The period of punishment and ordained tyranny is over, and Christ calls us to repentance now. Christians must seek to adjust their worldviews to conform to Christ now and not wait for a miracle or for their own death and resurrection. That's not what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says. 2 Chronicles says that when, when God's people repent, that he will heal their land. As Paul of Tarsus also says, when Christians fulfill their obedience, only then will they have the God-given opportunity to avenge all disobedience. The same Paul also said, do we then nullify the law by faith? Certainly not. Rather, we establish the law. Christians shouldn't seek the laws of men. We have to deal with the beast empire, that is no doubt, but we should seek to uphold the laws of God and not judge one another by the law of man. Here we have Brother Ryan to engage us with the discussion of the practical application of this plainly Christian concept. Hello, Ryan. I wanted to begin with stating that this program is not about the government and its bureaucracy itself. We, we all know that, that, well, that's bad and, and all that, and that it exists and is in our present daily lives and part of our daily lives, one shape, form, or fashion or the other. This program you and I are doing tonight is directed towards our fellow Christians who are stuck between two opinions. They believe in the message, the kingdom message, but they also have faith and believe in the, the governments of men, if we will, or man's philosophies. And they go even so far as to try to, well, biblically justify their belief in the governments of men with such catchphrases as, you know, the law of the land. We've got to obey the law of the land. Or they will cite uh, the verse, render unto Caesar what is due to Caesar. And they will use that and try to justify their beliefs in the governments of men. And we can see through the governments of men, the bureaucracies that we have, and there's not a person listening to this program, well, tonight live or we'll be hearing the recording of it, that doesn't have some gripe about the bureaucracy and the bureaucratic rules and regulations and all of the 
stipulations and things that you have to do to just be a citizen of the state. Um, the definition of bureaucracy, of course, is a group of people running government business that are not elected. They're hired government employees. And, of course, bureaucracy is bureau, which is from the French, which is a writing table or desk. And crassi is also from French, crate, or from the Latin, crate. And it means power or might or rule. So basically the word bureaucracy, or bureaucrat for that matter, is someone who sits behind a desk and has rule or power over your life. <laughs> now, we know the scriptures such as Matthew 22, 21, speaks of where Christ spoke of, rendering taxes unto Caesar. We know Romans, such verses as Romans 13, 7, tells us to pay our debts, pay our tribute, our taxes, to respect and give dignity to those that we're supposed to. Titus 3.1 tells us that we're subject to the powers of state authority. 1 Peter 2.13, we're to be obedient to every authority created by mankind on account of Christ, and, and there's a reason for that. But we need to remember that Romans 13.3 and 1 Peter 2.13 clearly tell us that God's government, yes, uh, man's government, I'm sorry, is a punishment of God. But ultimately, as Romans 13.3, 1 Peter 2.13 tell us, is to punish evil people, uh, real criminals, thieves, murderers, and the such. Now, you had mentioned um, the children of Israel, that God did not will them to have a king. He wanted them to have a tribalistic theocracy, if you will, and they did for about 450 years of the period we call the Judges period. But it was recorded in Deuteronomy because God, knowing the future, knew that they'd want a king or a single judge. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, stipulate that the king, a king of Israel, whether it was King Saul or King David or Solomon or any of the kings afterwards, they weren't to make law. They were to have a copy of God's law and to enforce his law and his statutes. And that's it. Man's bureaucracies, well, the fruits of this tree, bureaucratic tree. <laughs> we know that every tree that wasn't planted by God will be uprooted one day. But the bureaucratic statist tree and its fruits has its thou shalts and thou shalt nots. It has your have-to-dos and your have-to-gets. And there's not a Christian listening to this program that won't grumble and gripe about at least one of these things that I'm fixing to mention. You have to register. You have to apply. You have to file. You have to be enumerated. You have to be numbered. You have to be licensed. You have to be certified. You have to be permitted. You have to pay fees and fines, state and federal income taxes. You have to have or get a birth certificate, a social security number, a driver's license. If you don't drive, you at least have to have a state ID card. You have to have car tags. You have to have a marriage license to be recognized by man. Although God marries a couple, the government will not recognize your marriage. 
unless you have a marriage license. That's also a, a branch of the church bureaucracy, which the mainstream churches are nothing but an extension of the governments of men. You have to have a hunting fishing license if you like to hunt and or fish. You have to have a concealed weapon permit or license if you wish to carry a firearm under your clothes. You have to have building permits, even on your own property in some areas. You want to build an outbuilding or a barn or add a room or even a deck on your home, you have to have building permits. You have to have business licenses, even if you want to have a little small little business. And finally, when you're dead, your relatives got to make sure they get a death certificate. Now, the irony of the birth certificate and the death certificate is if you don't have a birth certificate, you don't exist under the governments of men. And if you don't have a death certificate, you, don't, you didn't die according to the government of men. That's the foolishness of the governments of men. Birth certificates began in the 1900s in America. And they were, well, issued by the U.S. Census Bureau to keep up with vital statistics. In 1945, the U.S. Public Department of Health took that over. It used to be the Census Bureau, and then it was Department of Health, another bureaucracy created, right? This is what happens. This is the nature of man's systems is to constantly grow. It's like a cancer. It's just going to constantly grow and expand into your life. Now, there's not one Christian listening that has not grumbled about having to have to get a concealed weapon permit or have to renew their driver's license or have a driver's license or a social security number to exist in a country that supposedly is free. And the government wants to constantly enumerate you and keep up with you and catalog you. The local government, the state government, the federal government, they want to catalog you and keep up with you and keep up with everything you own. You don't own the land that you're standing on. If it's in your, you're, You think you're in your home tonight, but that land does not belong to you. Now, that's not God's law, but that's man's law. And see, that's an example of man's laws making God's laws of none effect or void, as Christ cited in Matthew 15, 6. And he was citing the Old Testament verse in Isaiah 29, 13. So it's either man's law. And I, when I say man's law, I want to make it really clear. I'm talking about, I don't care if it's a Marxist communist government. I don't care if it's a national socialist government. I don't care if it's a constitutional republic. All of them are in opposition to God's law. We are only to enforce and keep God's laws, not the traditions and the doctrines and the dogmas of men. We teach for doctrines. You know, you mentioned earlier in your introduction, Bill, that Christians, well, not all, but some Christians have this tendency to want to judge one another on whether they have, oh, a marriage license or a driver's license. I've, I've heard fellow Christians condemning other Christians because, oh, he's hunting, and he ain't got a hunting license. Oh, he's, he's living with that woman, and he ain't got a marriage license. Oh, he's driving, he ain't got a driver's license. Why are we judging one another according to this foolishness, and they're teaching doctrines as if they were doing something immoral? You're saying someone is doing something sinful and immoral because – you are with a woman you consider your wife, or you're with a man that you consider your husband, and 
You are bond together before Yahweh God. God bonds people together, not the state. And, and but fellow, fellow Christians will condemn because you don't have a license. That's the mentality that we have to adopt. We have to conform our minds after God's law. Right. And when we get pulled over, we have to comply with the beast system that there's no doubt. And, and Christ even sent Peter to fetch a coin from the, fish's, from the fish's mouth so that they could pay the tax to make the Roman centurions and the tax collectors happy. So they could continue about the business of the kingdom of God. And right. that's what he means by giving unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You just do what you have to do. Right. To, to live, at, live at peace with all men. And that's why it says, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Right. But in Romans 12, too, it says, do not conform to this age or this world, the society, present society, but be transformed by the renewal of, your, of the mind. A Christian... Um, Matthew 6, 33, says we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And a, a Christian is to be conforming their mind not to what man's philosophies and status systems and bureaucracies or man-made religious dogmas in the mainstream churches are. We're to be conforming our mind to the laws of Yahweh God. Philippians 2.5, so we're to have the mind or attitude or thinking of Christ in our lives. Nowhere in the scripture does it stipulate that you have to have a hunting or fishing license, a license to travel about, an ID upon yourself, and nowhere uh, does it say that you have to have a, merit, a birth certificate or any of those sorts of things. These are man-made. And so we do these things. I have a driver's license. I have a social security number. But I'm not going to sit here and judge a fellow Christian that doesn't, and I'm not going to say that, oh, if you don't do that, then you're sinning. And that is we are to be judging one another righteously. We are to be judging according to God's law, not man-made. And trust me, I, we're all, all of us that are uh, racially awake, we love culture and traditions, and, and whether it be Scottish tradition, German tradition, whatever it is. We like that, but we should never teach it as dogma or we fall into what Jesus was condemning in Matthew 15. We're teaching for doctrines, the, the, the dogmas of men, the traditions of men, instead of teaching God's law. You, you, you're recording Matthew 11:28, where Christ said, uh, Come on to me, all you labor and heavy uh, burden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is, is easy or light, his burden is light. But now, in Matthew 23, Christ says... Uh, He's speaking of the Pharisees that bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born, but they, they don't move one finger. A lot of politicians will make a lot of laws, <laughs> and they don't even keep the laws themselves. So, um, The Pharisees – this was a point that um, I, I wanted to make. Uh, the Pharisees at one point in John 19 said um, – we're speaking of Christ – and they said, we, we have our law, and by our law… He ought to die, speaking of Christ. And they had built their law upon not the law of God. They, they, their, their law was, well, he blasphemed because he said he was the son of God. But that was not the blasphemy outlined in the law of God that we cannot do. That is a death penalty, you see. And blasphemy is a death penalty in Yahweh's law in a society that is set up to 
proclaim Yahweh's law. But Christ was not blaspheming, calling himself the Son of God, but the Pharisees always loving to add things and add things to the point that they would add it so it would be burdensome on the people that they themselves didn't even lift a finger. And politicians are never going to make laws that they have to keep themselves, or they will just ignore the laws, and they do whatever they want. Uh, we all have heard about you know, the judge or the cop that goes flying down the road. He doesn't keep the speed limit. You know, he's drunk driving, does whatever he wants. And that's, that's your Pharisees of today. The Pharisees, they, they, they make more rules and regulations for the people to go by. Um, the Pharisees in Christ's time, in Matthew 23, talks about them having the phylacteries and the long tassels on their clothes. And they love the seats of honor and banquets. They love the titles, right? Uh, today, you know, you have these preachers, pastor so-and-so, reverend so-and-so, and they just have to have these titles. Well, it's the same thing with senator so-and-so, congressman so-and-so. And the, the Pharisees of Christ's day, the lawyers of the law, they had all this ritual and outward appearance of being – and today, you know, they wear the suits and ties, right? And they love to be greeted with respect and have the most important seats in the synagogue. This is – Christ was saying this in Matthew 23, and that's what you have is you have a – it sets aside. You have the ruling class, the political class, if you will. There are some comments that – well, there's some quotes that I want to uh, share. It's written by a fellow Christian identity writer. Some people listening tonight may remember uh, or, or recognize the name, Richard Kelly Hoskins. And he wrote this in a short little essay or writing called Kings and Priests. He wrote, Adam man was created to rule himself and the world around him. And priest in strict obedience, oh, I'm sorry, as king and priest in strict obedience to the laws of the king of kings without any outside help. God made man in his own image to rule the world or the earth. God put his law in his heart and made him king and priest. And finally, another excerpt. To escape his responsibilities to rule as king and priest, and a man has delegated his responsibility to others. As prophesied, the result has been disastrous. Man has been reduced to being an animal, to be butchered as it pleases his rulers. His land, his work, his products, and his blessings have all been taken by others. It's Richard Kelly Hoskins in his writing Kings and Priests. And this is, this is the nature, well, the nature of the beast, the nature of government, of state. Um, the Constitution, a lot of people worship the Constitution, and I know that's going to upset some people tonight, but I can't help it. Uh, the Constitution, when it was ratified in 1789, there was three federal, federal, federal felonies or federal laws, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. Now, I would like to say as a side, I would like to know what gives a one set of men the right to make a currency and tell you you can't make a currency. That's kind of funny. But anyway, today there's almost 5,000 federal laws. Now, in the Bible, there's what, 613, something like that, law, laws in the Old Testament, um, and most or many of them have to do with the Levitical priesthood. They were temple laws and things like that. But we got almost 5,000 federal laws, not counting the state 
and the local county and the city governments and things like that. So much for limited government, right? That, that's the nature of the system of man is he's constantly got to add. And this is what the Pharisees were doing in Christ's day. They constantly have to add more and more and more and more, whereas Yahweh's moral civil laws, which are certainly a lot less than 613, are simply don't steal, <laughs> don't kill. You had certain civil responsibilities. You couldn't uh, go about in your life with depraved – well, in man's law today, they call it depraved mind or depraved indifference. And uh, an example of that is just going out – say you live in a neighborhood, right? And you just go out and you want to shoot your gun. You just start shooting your gun, not giving any care where the bullets may go, hitting your neighbor's house or whatever. Um, or driving down the road in a neighborhood where you know there's going to be kids in the road, and you're just flying down the road at 55, 65 miles an hour. That's depraved indifference. That's not caring. In the Bible, an example of that, of course, they didn't have guns and cars back then, but an example of that was you, you, you dig a hole. For whatever reason, you're going to plant a tree or something. I don't know. You dig a hole or a ditch, and you have to leave it. Then you put something around it, or you cover it, whatever, because you are your brother's keeper. And if you're going to have someone work on your roof in the, in the scriptures, it said to put a parapet or a hand railing. Now, today we have OSHA, Occupational Safety People from the federal government, and, and they have this bureaucracy, and, and anyone that's ever had to deal with OSHA can tell you how oppressive and creepy they really are. But we don't need an OSHA. We don't need speed limits. We don't need driver's licenses. We don't need the government putting numbers on our cars called license plates. We don't need any of that if, if we are willing as a people, as a people, to live by the laws that God has given us, the moral laws. Well, well, if I drive through your neighborhood at 70 miles an hour, and, and that's evident, that that's obviously irresponsible in many neighborhoods, and, and I kill somebody, I'm responsible for killing somebody. Absolutely. And according to Yahweh's law, you are. Uh, You're totally responsible for that. But if I drive through your neighborhood at 70 miles an hour because I have to get somewhere and, and nobody gets hurt, there's no violation of God's law. That's right. I exactly. I did nothing wrong. And, and many identity Christians continue to judge their brethren by the laws of man rather than the laws of God, we should all seek the law of God and we shall be indifferent to the laws of man. We should be indifferent to the government of man. We shouldn't be out voting for a, a Mitt Romney or an Obama, and we shouldn't even care who wins. I do not imagine that Christ and the apostles would have lined up to vote for a Caesar. Very good point. That's absolutely right. Um, well, that's another bureaucracy, right? Registering to vote and all that kind of stuff. That's exactly right. If voting is not going to bring in the kingdom of, of, of God. It's not, going to, it's not going to represent the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, it's like the Constitution. Where does it mention the name Jesus Christ? Where does it mention the name Yahweh? Where does it mention the Bible or Christianity? It doesn't. <laughs> We have, we have to openly, as a people, proclaim ourselves Christian and proclaim that we will keep Yahweh, our God's laws. In, in, uh, I like the phrase in the very beginning of the preamble of the Declaration of the Constitution. 
we the people, because in Exodus 19.8 and in 24.3, it says the people said, and it said the people will do, and they were agreeing to what? A constitutional republic? They were agreeing to keep Yahweh's laws. In Deuteronomy 27.15-26, repeatedly the words are, all the people shall say amen. They were amening, they were agreeing as we the people to keep Yahweh's law and to establish Yahweh's law as the law of the land. The people said, we will serve God and we will obey his voice, Joshua 24 and 2. And all the people stood to the covenant, 2 Kings 23, 3. That's we, the people in the Bible, and we as a people. Second Chronicles 7.14, most that are listening tonight know that one right off the top of their head. If we that are called by his name will humble ourselves. First, we have to humble ourselves. Humbling, what? Sometimes humbling is fasting. But if we get on our knees and pray, repent, and turn from our wicked ways. He will heal our land. He's not going to heal our land because we went out politicking for man's made-up laws and systems. We should be politicking for the kingdom of God and put bumper stickers on our car. The only politician, if I dare call him that, that we should be politicking for. And I've seen these bumper stickers before, Jesus Christ for president. <laughs> That's well, what we should be doing. Well, right, but most of the people that had those bumper stickers in the past really wouldn't want Jesus Christ for president. That they, um, the the Judeo Christians form a Jesus in their own image. The, the 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 point tonight is that Christians, identity Christians, should be indifferent to the bureaucracy. I mean, yeah, you have to go get a driver's license, but don't judge your brother if he doesn't have a driver's license. You, 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 um, if you don't want to get pulled over, you, you shouldn't, probably shouldn't violate the speed limits, especially if you don't have a driver's license. We have to deal with the society at large, but we, we shouldn't um, legitimize that society. We shouldn't give our approbation to that society. I, I've been, um, I, I've heard judgments from, from my own Christian brethren that I don't have a marriage license, or, or so. So I only, I'm only married because I say I'm married. And, well, well, that's not true. I say I'm married because I believe that my marriage was legitimate according to the scripture. And I have a commitment before God, and that's what matters. And that's the only thing that should matter to a Christian. Right. I, I don't understand the um, – and I have been legally married before, and, of course, that you know, marriage would fall apart because, well, <laughs> they love the world, right? But it's what is vows at altars. None of that stuff has ever held a marriage together. Right. So, but uh, that's right. That's exactly right. And nowhere in the scripture, uh, you know, I challenge anyone and always have, uh, well, once I learned it later in life, I've challenged people, where in the Bible do you have a third person marrying someone? And where in the Bible do you have to have a marriage license? When we trace the history of marriage licenses, once again, that's part of the 
bureaucracy of that rotten, evil, wicked tree that our Heavenly Father did not plant called the state of man, governments of men. The kings would require people to get marriage licenses. And then here in America, they started requiring marriage licenses. Now, I've heard the, the thought that the marriage licenses began in America to keep people from uh, having interracial marriage. Uh, I don't believe that, but some people think that's the history of the marriage license. Now, the point being, now, if two people want to get a marriage license and they're two Christians, I'm not going to condemn that either. But to say that a man and a woman that Yahweh God has put together is not married, well, then they need to show in the Scripture at least one place where a license is required. Otherwise, they have judged according unrighteously their brother and their sister and accused them of something that is wicked and wrong. And it's the same thing with every facet of life. Christians should seek to please God. We may have to um, comply with the government at times in our lives, but we should never give approbation, legitimacy, or... or, um, deference to the governments of man, because we should all seek to be pleasing and following God and God's law. And, and we should see them as the only legitimate law. And, and we should, even when we have to um, deal with earthly bureaucracies, earthly rulers, we shouldn't see them as being legitimate authorities over us, we should see that as a part of the circumstances of our punishment and our captivity. And that's how Christians should see that. When you have to get a license for your dog, your marriage, your car, or or whatever, that's a circumstance of captivity. And we should never seek to impose those things on our fellow Christians. Otherwise, we're agreeing with the systems of man, and and we are opposing ourselves to God. Well, it's like um, the whole marriage license thing. I have to chuckle because uh, the hypocrisy of those who, well, you're not really married if you don't have a marriage license or whatever with the state – and I'll say, well, okay, so you recognize that as making it legitimate. Well, well yeah, that's, that's the law of the land. That's the right thing. That's their tradition, blah, blah, blah. And you ask them if that's in the Scripture, and, of course, they can't, you know, they can't show it to you. But they will try to justify that in some way. And I'm talking about fellow Christians. Well, then, out of the same mouth, they will condemn the now legal gay marriage in, in many states. So they would have to by their own standard, they would have to recognize gay marriage as legitimate marriages. Right, because they believe that the state or the church can marry people. So if they believe that, then they, if they believe that marriage licenses make two people married, then they have to agree with the gay marriage, interracial marriage, all of that. Well, the coming, the coming man-donkey marriages, because that's going to happen in about 10 or 15 years here. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced it's coming. I remember when I was a young adult, I don't know, I was about 17 or so, 16, 17, and I you know, began to you know, get out in the world, as, they will, as, you, as you will. And 
I remember thinking, you know, I had to get a driver's license, right? A well permit, then a license. I had to get some insurance, uh, a car insurance. I had to um, file all this paperwork for a car. I got this this car, and um, I had to, uh, you know, have a social security number. Of course, my mom had gotten that for me when I was like 12 or 13, but I had to have that to show to get a job and whatever. And then I get this thing in the mail when I turned 18 that I had to go to the local post office and I had to go fill out this paperwork for selective service and all this kind of stuff, right? And I just always bothered me. I'm like, why is government, you know, who are these strangers sending me stuff in the mail? Then you get this stuff in the mail about, uh, you know, I had to you know start filing taxes, income taxes, you know, federal income taxes, and. Um, it was just weird. It was creepy to me as a young adult, late teens or a young adult. It was creepy to me. There was just something that felt weird about that, that I had all these strangers, this bureaucracy, these strangers sending me these, these, these desk jockeys, if you will. I mean, bureaucracy is, is uh, you know, tied to the desk, right? Um, so I, they're sending me this stuff. I had to file taxes, all this kind of stuff, and it was just weird to me. It didn't feel right. And now, now I'm uh, 47. That's what uh, 30 years ago. That still, I'm just as creeped out by by this stuff. These strangers sending me, oh, you got to renew your driver's license. You got to do this. It, it's it's um, or tags on your car or whatever it is. It's weird to me. Now you do it. You know, you you do these things, but it's weird. It's um. I had a concealed weapon permit for years when I lived in South Carolina, and I just never bothered to carry it on. But it was even the whole idea that I had to do it. I was like, "This is so stupid," and it was weird to me. And I don't understand how my fellow Christians can justify this type of bureaucracy, and they like this. They, they, they. There's one facet of it they may gripe about. They may not like to have to have the concealed weapon permit, but they like that everyone has to have a driver's license or something like that. And they live their life not conforming their mind to the laws of Yahweh, where Yahweh God didn't require you to have to have an ID card or a concealed weapon permit to conceal your um, what your knife back then or whatever, <laughs> or a birth certificate. And again, nowhere in this scripture from Genesis to Revelation can anyone show where there was a, it was requirement that there was a formal marriage ceremony and that someone had to have a marriage license to be recognized. So these things, this is man applying man-made up laws. All right. Formal baptismal ceremony that required a baptism certificate. And baptism, right. That's, that's church bureaucracy. And what they are is that's a branch, an offshoot of the status system. And it's all about control. It's all about Phariseeism. It's all about the Nicolaitans, those who rule the people conquerors, I have translated the term, those who seek to rule over their fellow man, repeating the, the, the error of Nimrod on a smaller scale. Well, right. That's exactly right. Um, I wanted to you talking about the Nick Lady. I want to talk about this real quick. Um, I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with this. The Decian persecution, and I would assume I'm pronouncing the name right. It was the Roman Emperor Decius, and he came to power in 249 A.D. And in 250 A.D., he issued an edict 
uh, and now his edict was not to persecute Christians. It actually was an agenda to restore traditional Roman values and culture. What does that sound like? He was a conservative of the day. And it required Roman citizens to have what's called, and I hope I don't chew up this Latin word too bad, libellus or libellus, L-I-B-E-L-L-U-S. And it, w- it was to certify that they had performed, they had went to the local DMV, okay, Department of Motor Vehicles, right? And that they had performed in front of a Roman magistrate a pagan ritual sacrifice. Now, this was the first time such a thing, which, of course, the Christians were the ones that felt the brunt of this, uh, of that day, was the first type of edict. There was off and on persecution. There was Nero, but these were not empire-wide. This was Roman Empire-wide, and it affected Christians under the Roman rule, and they could get the death penalty, and many did, But what was interesting about the history of this Decian edict of the Emperor Decius was that Christians were divided, Brother Bill. Some of them were mad at the other Christians for refusing to go get their libelous. Oh, it doesn't mean nothing. Just go to the DMV and get your driver's license. Oh, just file your income tax. Oh, just go do this. Oh, go get your marriage license. Go get your birth certificate. Oh, go do that. You're causing problems for the rest of us Christians. That is the most fascinating aspect of that historical event, that that the Christians were after each other like that. Absolutely, and they would be that way today. The Judeo-Christians. I pray that no identity Christians are that way, but the Judeo-Christians would definitely be that way today. And that is where the apostles drew the line. They complied with the worldly governments until the worldly governments expected them to disobey God. And then they said, hey, wait, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's where identity Christians must draw the line. Now, we're told in the scripture that for the sake of Christ and for the sake of our brethren, we comply with the worldly governments. That doesn't mean that we support them and give them approbation. We go get a coin out of the fish's mouth and we throw it to the Roman centurion to pay our taxes to keep them off our damn back. But we don't say, oh, you should collect taxes. I'm going to help you collect your taxes. We're going to go around and, and, and have a campaign because you need more tax money. No, no, we don't support the system like that. We don't. We don't vote for it, but we don't um, volunteer ourselves to it. We deal with it when we have to, and we move on in, in building the kingdom of God. And when the worldly governments want us to violate the law of God, or our, uh, our covenant with God, that is where we have to draw the line and become martyrs, like many of those early Christians did, if we seek to please God and not men. One of um, my first introduction many years ago to this belief called identity, as a Christian, but I this thing, identity, and the racial aspect of the Bible, was when I came across reading about a man early on in the early 90s named Gordon Call, and I found his story fascinating. And he felt and convicted, and if you read his last letter that he wrote, and it was published, 
uh, letter to the editor newspaper. He was on the run from the FBI, and he, of course, died in a, a very odd situation, um, in a, supposedly a shootout with law enforcement, but anyway. Um, the, my point about Gordon Call was is that I have always and always will admire the man's honesty, and, and um, I have his last letter on my website uh, that he wrote, last letter of Gordon Call, because it's always touched my heart in that he made his point that he did not feel in his heart he felt it was a sin against Jesus Christ for him to pay federal income tax, or well, I should say file federal income tax. He felt like because the, it was, he knew that it was the merchants of Babylon and the Jewish bankers behind the IRS and the Federal Reserve and all that stuff. And he, he felt like, well, to do so would be supporting the oppression of our people, anti-Christian uh, agendas, and uh, by paying federal taxes, right, and, uh, and, and supporting abortion and things like that. So he felt convicted in his heart. This was his line in the sand. He had to resist it. Now, I have you know, paid federal income tax, right, you know, you're off your paycheck, right? But I admire that, and I, on the flip side, would, and I have met people who confided in me they didn't pay, they didn't file. And I was, okay, you know, uh, through the years I've met them, and I'm like, okay. I, I've met people that uh, they carry a gun without a concealed weapon permit. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I had a concealed weapon permit for years, but I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't see that as um, immoral. I don't even think that. My mind doesn't go there. I've known people that drove uh, regularly without a driver's license. For whatever reason, they didn't have a driver's license. And I had no opinion, no judgment whatsoever. It never even occurred to me, Bill, that it was something bad or evil or immoral. Never did it occur to me. <clears throat> It's absolutely not bad, evil, or immoral. It could be a hassle when you get pulled over and sure. 30 days in jail. Well, you get caught without a concealed weapon permit. You know, you go jailed. Uh, uh, you know, these different things. Or, you know, you get caught not paying tax, federal income tax, or, or filing or whatever. But my point is, is I've never, I've never seen – why is that immoral? I don't understand that. And then I don't think about it, and then someone else who may call themselves a Christian – We'll start judging that, yeah, he, you know, that damn asshole, he's always driving around without a driver's license or whatever. And I'm like, why do you judge him for that? Why, why, you know, if you're going to judge people, judge them because they lie or judge them because they're, you know, doing something that's against Yahweh's law, which is the only law. Well, well you could get a married license, a marriage license and marry a Negro. So, so I guess that's okay if you have a license for it. Well, that was my point earlier, is that licenses, if people think that you know, a brother and a sister in Christ that are together as man and wife aren't married then, uh, because they don't have a license, then they must stay uh, consistent in their judgment and, and, and accept gay and interracial couples as being legitimately married. Because they do have a license. Because they do have a license. So n none of that means anything to me, and, and uh, I don't understand why you know, fellow Christians bog down in some of the most foolish, judgmental, bizarre things. But, of course, tonight we're talking about bureaucracy of, of, of the state, 
and we don't understand, yeah, we live under the Roman system of today, right? The Babylonian system of today. We live under Egypt, okay? We live in, in this bondage of a sort, but we shouldn't judge one another about how well someone complies with man-made-up laws, so-called laws, in quotation marks, laws. We should only judge righteous judgment according to Yahweh's laws. Absolutely. I'm going to read a quote here from a book. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Bill. Uh, it's called Christ Reich, and the author is a one William Fink. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And on page 148, he said something that I was so excited about. I, when I read it, I underlined it, and then I turned around and underlined it again. I almost can't read it. And it says here, The children of Yahweh should not have a care for the beast. And the beast he's referring to here is government. But rather they should long for the return of Yahshua Christ and their final restoration into his kingdom, ruining the day when their ancestors sought an earthly king. We must, it is, I believe that Christian identity is the truth. Now, us identity Christians, we may fuss and fight and disagree over little doctrines here and there or whatever, but in general, I truly believe that Identity Christianity, racially awake Christianity, Christianity that identifies correctly who the Israelite people are and who they aren't, is the truth, the, capital T, the, capital T, truth. And therefore, it is up to us, identity Christians, to say, not only proclaim this racial truth and this, this beautiful racial truth, we should be proclaiming the beauty and the harmony of the only law that exists. Man cannot make law. He can only make rules and policies, but man cannot make law. Law is not something arbitrary that goes and comes. It's not something that can be uh, fiddled with and find loopholes with. Law is perfect, and only God is the lawmaker. And we should pro be proclaiming that, because in Yahweh's kingdom, there will be no driver's licenses, and there will be no marriage licenses. There will be no concealed weapon permit licenses. And Bill, help me out here. I'm not talking about some kingdom off in the clouds in the future. No, we're talking about God's kingdom established here on earth. And, and that there's, um, no, <laughs> there are no laws about how fast you drive your chariot to the local village. <laughs> the, the, um, Yahweh created the laws of Moses and transmitted them to Moses for the children of Israel to live by. And, and they are a reflection of his divine law. And, and we were told not to add to, to that book or subtract from them. And, and, and um, Yahweh did not give us the... Um, the, the right or license to make our own laws and use those laws to rule over our brethren. That was done in, in, in throughout Scripture. Every time that was done, it was in a state of apostasy that it was done, not in a state 
of compliance to and devotion to God. That's absolutely correct. We cannot add to that law. It's amusing to me. Politicians. Politicians are also known as lawmakers. And we constantly, like the Pharisees of old, are constantly, these politicians, these Pharisees in the political system of today, are constantly adding more and more burdens upon us. Constantly adding, because that's the nature of man. That's the nature of the beast, is to constantly get bigger, stronger, to support itself. And Benjamin Franklin, in his day, <clears throat> and um, I, I've read his letters at length, and in, in his day, he was very critical. He wrote very critically of the British bureaucracy and how the king had offices for, for, every, for, for every possible function that one could dream up and, and, and in order to um, rule over men. Benjamin Franklin complained about the British bureaucracy and how sprawling and all-powerful it had become in regulating every facet of a man's life. And that's not the will of God. That is basically Antichrist. That's the, that, that is the, the doings of those beast governments throughout history. So, so it, it is not the will of God to have these sprawling bureaucracies to burden men. And, and even though Franklin knew about it, even though Franklin wrote about it, 70 years after the Constitution, we were back at that point again. We slipped right back into it again. And, and the warnings were there. So, so man can't keep from, from bureaucracy when he imagines that he can be king and make his own laws. Bureaucracy is, and tyranny are inevitable. Yes, it, it's constantly, you're going to constantly add on to it. So when Christians, um, Christians have no business politicking for the system because this is what they're doing. When they're uh, politicking, whether for some referendum to be passed or for some politician, local or state or federal, to, to win election or, or to be you know, re-elected, they're actually saying make more law. That's literally what they're doing because that politician – I don't care how much they, you know, they have their little pet politician, these Christian voters, they will have their little pet politicians. Those same pet politicians would portray them in a heartbeat when it comes to standing for God's law. I, I think of um, this country, America, and, and this is the way that man, man-made laws are. They're always looking for loopholes and to micromanage things and be control freaks on one end. They want to control everyone on one side. There ought to be a law. You know the old joke, there ought to be a law. And on the other end, they're always looking for some sort of permissive um, – some sort of loophole. And, and uh, an example I want to give is I don't understand a country of people that allow child molesters to live. I don't I – don't, my mind doesn't – I don't understand that. I don't understand a country that allows murderers 
to live uh, do life in prison or to live 15, <clears throat> 20 years before they get their death penalty. I don't comprehend that. That's weird to me. I don't understand that. What kind of society will not protect uh, the innocent, whether it be children or you know innocent people murdered? I don't understand that. Well, soon pedophilia is going to be legal. Well, they've always made excuses for them. I mean, why? And that's the kind of country that we have because we reject Yahweh's law, where Yahweh gives death penalty. There's capital offenses, and they're death penalties, period. And the people that were to be the first involved in the death penalty were the witnesses. When you witnessed against someone in a death penalty case, such as kidnapping and murder, that's a death penalty, you're to be stoned. The first people to throw stones were the people that had witnessed before an open court, and the people get to hear if someone's guilty or not. And if they're found guilty, the first people to cast stones were the witnesses. And the whole village was commanded to join in. Right. And we all are the police, the sheriff. We're all the military. We're all the the, the judge, jury, and executioner. The Jew, the Jew knows that we all, all have this instinct for justice and order, to restore order. And so the Jew, Hollywood, loves to make movies on the revenge theme or the vengeance theme of these superheroes or whoever they are, and they're always getting, the bad guy, getting back at the bad guy and bringing justice. Uh, this guy's family gets wiped out. So he becomes, goes out and he takes care of business. In the Bible, it's called an avenger of blood. And he goes out and he takes care of business. And we all love to watch that. But then in real life, if someone does it, oh, he shouldn't take the law into his own hands. It's, Yet the law of God says you are to take the law into your own hands. Right. Christians are commanded to do it. That now, even under the... Um, well, well, the Christian... The, the first century Christian attitude which the apostles had was that by casting a sinner out of the Christian community, um, God, we would pray that God judge that individual because they no longer had the ability to condemn criminals on their own. But in the kingdom of God, in the Old Testament, the locals, the local people of a town or village, when they found a criminal, a man who broke the law of God in a capital offense, that they made, they didn't call the cops, they themselves executed judgment and made sure that the, um, the law was fulfilled. Whether you stole a cow or, or killed a man, you, you were at the mercy of the local people. Right, and and that's the way it should be. But you know, people. Uh, well, now we have you know these these <laughs> men, <laughs> and we're all fallible, men and women. We're all fallible. We have these men in their little costumes with their Batman utility belts on, and they have these little metal things on their chest, and they're the superheroes. They drive around in the high tech cars with the pretty lights. We call them cops, and sheriffs, deputies, and state troopers, and they are nothing but a security force for the state bureaucracy. They're not there to enforce morality. That, that's the exact nature of the Roman centurions. That right. Security force for the, for, for, the, for the state interests, for the interests of Rome, and they certainly were not 
there to enforce morality. In, in fact, when, when certain soldiers had asked John the Baptist what they should do, John the Baptist basically warned them that they should be moral, and, and, and he spoke to them from that viewpoint because the soldiers were often assigned from overseas into a foreign province, and, and they were very often um, displayed in absolute lack of morals. In, in fact, they, um, in, in the time of Claudius Caesar, according to Josephus, a riot was set off in Jerusalem when a Roman soldier made obscene gestures in a temple during the Passover, and 10,000 people died as a result of that gesture, and the, the, the riot which ensued, because they were, there was an, a tumult against the soldier for his obscenity. So... so Soldiers have never, the, the state agents have never upheld morals. They've always only upheld the interest of the state and the merchants. And that's what they do today. Right. Well, uh, you know, the original police force was indeed the, the militaries of the day. And so we have, some of them were assigned civil duty and some of them were assigned to, to go out and wage war in other countries. Today we have sheriffs and, and police and state troopers and whatever. They're nothing but an, a type of military. As a matter of fact, the military is a type of police force over in other countries enforcing the agendas of the merchants. So, um, and this is, um, you know, when I look at it, when I see a cop, a, a white man, or at least he looks white, or a white woman, that's a cop, and they're in their little you know, costume. And I see them as a fellow Israelite who's blinded, who's being used against their own people, and they would arrest you if you were to deal with a job molester or a race-mixed couple or a thief or something that assaults an old lady and steals her purse. Uh, they, would, they would deal with you, and you're the one, oh, you shouldn't have took the law in your own hands, Instead of saying, instead of joining with you, and that shows me they are nothing but the military, they're the civil branch of the military, the cops are, the sheriffs, the deputies, and all that, are nothing but the civil branch of the military enforcing the empire that they serve, their employer that they serve, which of course is the government. When men enforce judgment on, on their own and enforce justice, I should say, when, they, when men take it to themselves to enforce justice, which is our natural instinct, it threatens the authority of the state. And, and that's why I believe the state doesn't want you to do those things, because their authority is threatened. Right. Well, you know, I, I always use this quote, and I love this quote because I, I, I think it, it really, if people listen to the simple sentence, I think it makes them, th well, it would make them think. I would, I would hope it would make them think. And it's that quote from the introduction, a, a, another writing by Richard Kelly Hoskins, his book, In the Beginning, the Story of the International Trade Cartel. Now, the book is actually the history of states and statism. It goes back to the ancient Levant, the, 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 the Mesopotamian city-states, and, and things like that. And the quote is, the merchant must establish a king to protect him and promote his interests. Now, that king is your state system, and the king has what with him? He always has his soldiers, right, his knights or whatever. He always has his warriors, and it's to protect the merchant. And that's why you have legalisms in the first place, and there is 
uh, just because something is legal does not mean it is lawful in God's law. Just because something is illegal in man's law does not mean it is uh, unlawful in God's law. So legal and lawful and illegal and unlawful are not the same things. Man's agenda, the states, the governments of men, I don't care how much people can rant and rave about the Constitution. I don't care how much they rant and rave. If the Constitution has never stood up for the laws of God. Never. It has never enforced the laws of God. It was built by the merchant class to protect the trading interests of the merchants. Now, is that to say that the founding fathers were all bad guys? Absolutely not. But that is the ultimate nature of what a state is. It is a beast, and it is a beast always used by the merchant and the trading class. Always ha- the money class always has been. And that's why three years after the Constitution was ratified, you had your first Rothschild Bank, the first national bank, three years after the Constitution was ratified. It was always about that. In all fairness, it was the second second bank of the movement that brought us independence. It was their second bank, which was a privately owned Jewish bank, because there was for 10 years a privately owned Jewish bank in Philadelphia which served as a central bank for the states under the Articles of Confederation. Right. The Confederation were no better than the Constitution in that respect, that they also allowed for, and I'm not saying that they um, made provisions for, but they allowed, because it functioned under the Articles, they allowed for a privately owned central bank, and, and they did have one. And thus my point is even hammered even clearer that that's what it's about is establishing trade and commerce. It's not about dealing with the non-whites. Well, obviously, it didn't enforce Yahweh's law. We didn't keep the the non-whites out even back then. We didn't deal with uh, certain uh, murderers and things like that that should have been dealt the way that Yahweh's law says to deal with it. Um, But the point that I want to make is that Status systems, um, when a politician makes a law or whatever, you know, then something becomes – well, they call it law. But it becomes something that – it stipulates a, an act or something that's legal or, and, and, and illegal. Okay, that has nothing to do with what is lawful and unlawful in the Bible. It has to do with what man wants and what man has uh, – well, a group of men called politicians – have stipulated is going to be the law of the land. So the – I, to me, the true law of the land, or the law of the earth, is the law of the universe, and that's Yahweh's moral laws. But the true law of the land, of course, in, in America and in white countries, should certainly be the Bible. But man has constantly tried to, and, and you've talked about this a lot, uh, Bill, in, in previous podcasts, and you've written about this, is man has constantly tried to rule himself, and he's so hanging on, he won't. He just hangs and hangs and hangs on to the idea that he can deem something uh, right or wrong or good or bad instead of allowing God to define what is right, what, what is lawful and unlawful, what is sin, what is, what is bad, what is good, what is holy, what is righteous. And that's why you have people running around, your fellow Christians, pointing fingers at, at, a, at a couple who have been together and they live together, their husband and wife in God's eyes, 
<laughs> but they point at them and they say, oh, that's not a husband and wife. And they, judge, and they base that not on God's law, but on man's legalisms. And that goes with anything. You can use any, any example. And we should be – Christians, our mind needs to be renewed in Christ. We need to bring our mind and conform it, as Romans 12, 2 says, not to this age or to the systems of men or the legalisms of men or the laws passed by politicians. We should transform and renew our minds in the kingdom message in the gospel of Christ according to Yahweh's laws. So many people in identity are sticklers about the race law, right? They're really good about that. But they're all over the page, all over the place on other aspects, whether it's marriage or uh, judging their brother about not having a driver's license or whatever it is. They look at each other and they judge one another according to the standards of a wicked society as opposed to God's word and his law. And we've got to let go of that. We've got to set that free and allow our minds to only conform to the laws of God. That, that's why the Constitution is so important. And I believe that the document, even though it protected the merchants, it was supposed to protect the people. It was a document for us and our posterity. And that opening clause in the Constitution was never put into practice. It was never put into practice. So, so even the Constitution was never really um, the law of the land that, that they said it was because it was never put into practice. But I, I'm not... Um, defending the Constitution itself, but its intentions. It was, it was the, the height of the Enlightenment. It was a group of men who, who were steeped in classical learning. They understood Roman history, Greek history, biblical history. They knew their Bibles. They knew their Plato. They knew their Aristotle. They knew their Plutarch. These men were all at, at the height of learning of, of our race. And we have not had such an educated generation of men ever since then. We haven't had it because in the 19th century, classical learning and under Jewish humanism, classical learning began to be diminished in the West. And, and I believe that that generation of, of the founders, that they were probably the last or close to the last great generation in that respect. They were educated in, in all the classics, literature, scripture. They had it all. And that's why it's important to understand that these men who were at that height of, of learning and understanding, even they couldn't make a government where man could rule himself. It was destined to fail, and it did. And it had its flaws because it was a document based on compromise. It had many flaws, and it was destined to fail. And that's the lesson that we're to learn from that experiment, is that man cannot rule himself. 
Only God can be our king. Once each one of us sees that God is king and that we should follow his law, because as soon as man starts to make law, morality becomes relative. Oh, well, well, I guess it's okay to be a fag in this instance, or I guess it's okay to kill somebody if this happens, or, or whatever. Once man begins to make law, right and wrong become relative, and we slip into what the Jews love is called situation ethics. And, and morality is not relative. Morality has to be concrete, and for morality to be concrete, every man has to subject himself to God's law. Well, right, and, and James 4.12 tells us there's only one lawgiver. Isaiah 33.22 tells us God is that lawgiver. First Timothy tells us that Christ is the only potentate, or the Christian, the Christoginian New Testament has ruler. He's the only ruler. Right. We, 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 have to, um, we have to acknowledge that, okay, we've tried it. Now, if I lived uh, back in the 1700s or something, I might have uh, thought that what the founders were doing was just fine. But understanding history, understanding the vicious cycle of all different attempts at statism. Even the democracy, the Athenian democracy, lasted, what, Bill, 50 years or something like that? Um, these systems of men, they may start out with good intentions, like um, you're talking about the Constitution, they had good intent, and, and the Bill of Rights and all that. I agree. I, I think most of them sure did. Uh, the Magna Carta, th these things, the history of our people and the different struggles our people have gone through, but it's time to learn the lesson of our people, and it's like um, in our lives, as we as we age, we we go into adulthood, and young adults, the middle age, we go we get older. We we look back and we see, well, we should see a positive progression. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, you certainly should a positive progression where you. You outgrow things, and you learn, and you tried certain things, you used to believe certain things, and you, and you grow, and you, okay, well, that was me 10 years ago, that was me 20 years ago, I, I've grown from that, I, don't know, I no longer believe that particular thing, or, or, or whatever. We have to look at the, the Christoginia, the, uh, the anointed race, the Adamic and Israelite race, the white race, and see the maturing from Adam on up the ancient um, the ancient uh, oikumene um, in the Fertile Crescent in that area, and our people from city-states of ancient Sumerian uh, uh, city-states up to uh, you know the, the Athenian, the Greek, the Greco-Roman periods, all of these things, the Egyptian uh, empires, all of these this growth, and then through Europe, uh, the growing state ages, and then, of course, into America, as well as uh, South Africa and Australia, and, and the different histories. We have to see the historical context of our people, and as we mature as a body, as a collective, as a race, as the, the anointed race, as a people, and we're coming, I believe, to a, a, a maturity where we can look back at history and say, you know, we, we tried these things, and we're not going to uh, – 
we're not just going to uh, denigrate or piss all over the memories of these people. We can see their intent, but we can also see the errors, and it's time for us to come to full maturity in Christ and seek, as the title of this book here by William Fink, Christreich, or the reign of Christ. And we have to see that that's not something off on a cloud sometime in another, you know, another life, but that we Christians are to represent. We're to be the ambassadors of the kingdom of God here and now. And yes, we're basically, we're the foreigners, we're the aliens of this hodgepodge modern Babylon that we live under today. And yes, we have to uh, obey, you know, certain things of man just to uh, to get by, you know, get a driver's license or file your federal income tax, whatever. But that is not something we as Christians should be upholding, and that's the point of this, uh, part of the point of this tonight's broadcast, is that we don't need to be politicking for the system. We don't need to be trying to perpetuate it, justify it, and we don't certainly don't need to be judging not only our fellow Christians, but our fellow whites, by man-made-up system standards. We are to, as in Revelation 18, we're to come out of her, my people, that you partake, not partake of her sins and not receive her plagues. We need to come out of this Babylonian mindset, come out of the kingdom of men, the corrupt kingdoms of men, and spiritually speaking and mentally speaking, and develop that Christian Weltanschauung that we are supposed to have and seek the, the, the Reich of Christ, the reign of Christ, his law, and uphold that. That's what we should step out of Babylon in our minds and our spirits and our hearts and step into the reign of Christ. And the thing that we, we, we Christians, we all know that the, the laws of God, ultimately we, we want freedom, we want uh, individual freedom and liberty and, and all of those sorts of things that white folk instinctually uh, seek. We, we all seek freedom and, and liberty, and it's something that we've always done through the history of our people. You have um, you know, these great freedom fighters of our history, uh, you know, the William Wallaces and, and the sort like that are always fighting for freedom, right? We always want freedom – from tyranny, we, we, I'm talking about as a race, the white race. We, we're not seeking freedom to be um, hedonist animals. We seek freedom simply from, from tyranny and bureaucracy in the first place. And we know that, first off, we all know John 8 and 32, the truth shall set you free, right? It sets you free mentally. And Jesus who he makes free is free indeed, John 8 and 36. We know that the law of God is called the law of freedom, James 1, 24. In Galatians 5, 1, we read about the freedom that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians three seventeen, where the spirit of Yahweh is, there's liberty. And in Galatians 5, 13, we Christians are called to bureaucracy, to make more laws? No. We're called to freedom. And that's, that's why on the Liberty Bell, 
it has the inscription from Leviticus 25 to proclaim liberty throughout the land. There's true freedom for us under Yahweh's law. There's true justice for the criminals, those that insist on being burglars and thieves and murderers and rapists. There's true justice for them. But the system of man, he can't even get justice right, as I was referring to earlier. He can't even deal with the child molesters right. He can't deal with the murderers right. They create these warehouses called prisons and jails. But in the scripture, Yahweh had a very quick punishment, swift punishment. If it was a death penalty, it was a death penalty instantly, once found guilty. If it was something where they paid restitution, then they paid restitution. If they did not wish to pay restitution, then they would be, they'd be enslaved if they, until they did. And if they were found in contempt of the court of the people and would not pay restitution, then they, contempt of court, was a death penalty. But everything was very swift, very dare I say, economical. I mean, stones cost nothing, right? <laughs> well, well, today, all prisoners are coddled to a degree, can, especially compared to the ancient world. But, but pedophiles, pedophiles in the modern prison system are actually a protected class, and they are coddled and looked after and given special attention and taken care of to a great degree. And, and I don't know, and the, the, what led us to that was bureaucracy. Man trying to make up ways to deal with things. That's what's led us to, well, child molesters, able, you know, the recidivism of child molesters and other violent criminals and, and, and all that. It's, you perpetuate that because you ignore, well, the state system ignores Yahweh's law. You have, here in America, you have the anti-death penalty people. Well, that's just an abhorrent, and I'm sure it's got. A, I've never looked into it, but I'm sure it's got a Jewish origin. Um, th- th- what kind of people do not want to see a, a, the life taken of a murderer? I, I don't understand that. All of those um, contrarian justice movements, if I have to call them that, that they're all. Um, they all have Jews behind them. Jews who seek to subvert the values of society. And today's politicians, they certainly have no, no interest in any true justice. All they're interested in is what the latest, greatest... Um, well, you know what? Politics is... Um, you talk about pop culture sometimes, Bill. It, um, politics is pop culture. What's the latest... Um, you know, pop political agenda. (laughs) Well, politics and religion today are pop culture. They're full reflections of pop culture. Pop culture is Jewish. It is Jewish culture. It's perpetuated by the, the Jews who control the media. They have created what is called pop culture. It has permeated the political system. It's permeated all of our social strata and the schools and the churches. The churches are, are no more now than pop churches. That's what they are. They're no longer Christian churches. They are pop churches. The proof, and, and I'm writing about this, but it's been on a back burner for the last three or four months. 
the proof is in this. Ten years ago, these young, white-looking, because they're not really all white, white-looking Hollywood starlets started adopting these little neglets from Africa. And today, 10 years later, 12 years later, all of these so-called Christian churches are promoting the adoption of neglets from Africa. They are worshiping their gods. Their gods are really these Hollywood starlets because they are pop churches. So they are acting after the manner of their gods and bringing Nicholas home into all of these white communities throughout the South. Because it's the latest hip thing to do. <laughs> They're pop churches. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the politics of today. And, and as a matter of fact, um, politics uh, and the state are based on fear. Fear, fear, fear. And uh, we're always told to fear, you know, the latest, greatest, uh, what is it, Ebola now. Remember when they had the, the bird flu, and, and before that it was something else. And we're supposed to fear it was al-Qaeda, and now it's this, I call it is-is, but ISIS uh, terrorist group. It's always fear, fear of this, fear of that, fear, fear. And politicians need you to be in fear. If you do not fall in the fear uh, into under their fear spell, you you won't vote for them. It's it's uh, the conservatives. Uh, they they they're, they they ha- are uh, driven by fear, fear, fear. The liberals, the the lefties, fear, 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 and it's all based on fear mongering and living in fear. Whereas the scripture says, the righteous shall live by fear. No, the righteous shall live by. Faith. I've had people, because I'm a non-statist, ask me, fellow identity Christians, ask me, well, Brother Ryan, what would we do with the criminals if, you know, well, what, what do you expect? Do you do what you're supposed to do, what the scripture says? Okay, well, who would build the roads? You mean to tell me that Israelites can't continue to construct and build wonderful things, including bridges and roads and buildings, and things can't get done even more efficiently without the bureaucracy of the government? Well, Brother Ryan, but what about the invasion of China or, or someone going to nuke us? Where's your faith in Yahweh? You're putting your faith in men. Yahweh told Gideon, hey, you've got too many soldiers, dude. I want you to drop that down to a few hundred. And then I want you to go to war with, with you know, these, these basically the flashlights of the day and, and, and blow some horns. <laughs> Yahweh is our shield and our buckler. Yahweh will keep us. And that's where we fall down on the job as Christians is proving our God by doing what we're supposed to be doing, living his law, proclaiming his truth, loving our brothers and our sisters and looking out for one another and living our lives in a godly manner uh, reveling in in marriage, marriage and in, in married life, and in family and community, and um, you know if you're an artisan or a musician or if you're an engineer or whatever it is that you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. That's what the Scripture says, and, and live your life as a worship for Yahweh, and 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 live for your people. Yahweh, our God, will protect us from any disease. <laughs> he will protect us from any uh, invading army. 
he, he will protect us if we put him first. But if we live in fear, see, you can't love Yahweh and fear Yahweh because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You can't fear God and fear the things of men at the same time. There's a lesson in, in um, 2 Chronicles chapters 11 and 12 of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon who took the throne of the divided kingdom of Judah after the death of his father. And Rehoboam, during his kingship, had gone out and built up all the cities into fortresses and armed them and stocked them with food. And it, it describes this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, along with many good things that he did because he maintained the temple and, and, and the worship of Yahweh. And, and a lot of the people in Israel, which had gone pagan, had come over to Judah and joined themselves to Judah and all the priests because the priests were run out of Israel by Jeroboam. Well, well Rehoboam did all these good things and... and he took himself to too much account and fortified all the cities and, and, and um, made great defenses in the land of Judah. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, he said, the, the scripture says that when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of Yahweh. And right after that, Pharaoh Shishak comes from Egypt, destroys all his cities, and puts them under tribute, and takes all his gold. So all of those defenses that he had built came to naught because he forsook the law of God. And all of those great defensed fortresses were easily taken by the Pharaoh because Rehoboam had forsook Yahweh. If we forsake God, we leave ourselves open to our enemies, and nothing is going to save us. You know, the master, Christ, said that we can't serve two masters, and you can't... The, begin, the, the, beginning, the beginning of spiritual or godly wisdom, or righteous wisdom, of course, is, is the fear of Yahweh. And only fear Yahweh if, you do, if you're doing wrong, um, if, if you're fearing him and, you, and serving your master, serving your master, you have fear if you do wrong for, to your master, don't do what you're supposed to. You can only fear. You not only can't just serve one master, you can only fear one master. And if you run around fearing the latest, greatest pop fear that the media has told you to fear, oh, the, the dollar's going to fall. I'm 47 years old and been, <laughs> been watching conspiracy stuff since I was 14. And I've been hearing about the dollar going to fall ever since then, the early 80s, okay? Um, the the dollar's going to fall. They're going to come get your guns. The latest disease is – I remember when, they, when AIDS came out. You remember that bill? It was all over the news. Oh, we're all going to die if it's going to go airborne. Remember that in the 80s? Right. You know, the, the to, total and absolute ridiculous fear all the time. And it comes to the point, why don't you fear God? Statism or the governments and bureaucracies of men are built on fear. They make more law and more policies and bureaucratic rules and regulations. It's all about fear. Your driver's license is based on fear. The existence that you have to have one, I should say, is based on fear. And they've sold this idea to the people, fear, 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 fear. And this goes way back, constant, this goes way back to 
all the ancient empire, empires and, and, and status systems of the ancient city-states, uh, it's, it's constantly – it's fear. As a matter of fact, uh, for that matter, Pharaoh was, was oppressing the Israelites, the ancient Hebrews. He, he was oppressing them out of fear that they were going to you know, outnumber us. They're going to you – know, it's constantly fear. It's, the state is based on fear. Fear of people. Like, oh, what would we do about drunk drivers? What would we do about this? You're constantly basing this what ifs and these fears and using excuses not to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, and it, always focusing on this foolishness. And the world will always feed you fear. In the modern age in which we live, with the media and the computers and telephone, well, telephone, but television and the internet and and, and all this type of stuff. There's constant fear-mongering, always fear, 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 and it's distracting you from the only one that you're supposed to fear is Yahweh, and only if you're in error and if you're, if you're in sin. And stop fearing. What is it? Psalms 91, I believe it is. It tells us not to fear the plagues and to fear these things that come upon us, the, 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 the earth. We're not to live in that type of fear. Now, it's not about – I'm not saying don't be prudent and don't put a smoke detector in your house or you know, don't put a seatbelt on or anything. And by the way, I believe in seatbelts. I do not believe in seatbelt laws. That's absurd. But use you know, the prudence and safety and, and, and whatever you feel you should do, but don't live your life in fear of anything but God. Most new laws, even at the, at the well, especially we know that at the federal level, but, but at the state level, at the local level, many um, local laws and ordinances which are passed by communities are done in response to something stupid that happens in the community. A, 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 dog get, a kid gets bit and gets rabies. Every dog in the, in the state has to have a rabies shot and a rabies license because one kid got rabies. Or, or it, it's always something silly like that, which um, leads to more and more and more regulation of men's lives, and, and that's tyranny. That is tyranny. I, I know someone that works in the, um, uh, the civil law uh, uh, section of, of the legal system, which is the, where they sue you, you know, they sue the hospitals, they sue all that. And this person always would tell me when they would see a warning on something, like uh, I, I can't think of something off the top of my head. Um, maybe you buy a ch chair and it says uh, don't dance on it or something. I'm trying to think of something. Anyway, and the, the person told me, said that sticker is on that, on that item because somewhere along the line, someone tried to dance on that chair, got hurt, and wanted to sue the chair company. And it, it, that's just an example. I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head, but what this person was always telling me is that these warnings come because someone has actually tried to sue or has successfully sued the company that made that product. So it's constantly this adding and adding and adding, whereas Yahweh God, you know, he gave us ten moral laws, wrote them in stone, said he would take them from the stone and put it in the fleshy tables of our heart, and they are in our heart, his moral laws in our heart. We all, we that are pure white, we know what's right and what's wrong in our hearts. And he, put, he said he wrote those, those laws on the t tablets of stone, and he wrote no more. He added no more. So, you know, we don't need uh, 
we don't need – there is no other law. Man can't make law, but we don't need any more law than what Yahweh God has given us. It covers anything that's immoral or anything that's wrong to do or unnatural. The Bible has already got that covered. It's the only law book we need. You know, well, even Martin Luther said that he wasn't going to pay any attention to church synods and popes because they are always conflicting with one another and that his final authority was the word of God. Right. You know, a, a lot of the listeners tonight are familiar with uh, the Talmud. And the Talmud, of course, is a, a collection of Jewish commentary um, about, what is it, 63, 63 books of Jewish commentary. It's a big, huge library. Now, you can buy a copy of it. It's, you know, all those books. It's a whole bunch, right? Um, it, but it costs quite a bit of money. But yet if you go to your local lawyer's office, you will see a true Talmud of legalistic writing. Same principle. Right, only even more books. So when we identity Christians are condemning the Jew and his foolish Talmud, and we should, we need to look at the system that we are always trying to – our own Pharisees – and political system that we have, and all of those tall mood of the constitutional uh, and state and, and local governments, and look at all that foolishness, whereas Yahweh's law fits in one book, and matter of fact, that one book we call the, the Bible, the New Old and New Testament, uh, a lot of that book is uh, prophetic and historical writings and things like that. So uh, the law of Yahweh, God, fits easily in one book. But man's laws, look what he does. That's the insanity of the bureaucracy of status systems. So from what little I know of the subject, the proliferation of case law in the American legal system was really began in the time of Louis Brandeis, the first Jewish Supreme Court justice. And, and, and um, before that time, that the um, case law wasn't a, a primary component of, of the American legal system, but it had proliferated from that time. And, and case law, the whole case law concept is very much like the legal disputes of the rabbis in the Talmud, and, and where, where one rabbi but would give... Um, arguments about a verse of scripture and another rabbi would give arguments about a verse of scripture and and the most sophistic argument would, would win the day and 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 these arguments aren't really to uphold the scripture but these arguments are offering ways to get around the scripture and and case law it is just as wicked it, it, one lawyer offers 10 cases supporting his opinion. Another lawyer offers 10 cases supporting his opinion, and, and the judge gets to pick the winner. Well, the, the case law, okay, it, it goes back to the common law courts, the medieval courts, the king's courts in Europe. And common law or traditional law or case law, it comes from the, the, the two types of courts. There was a, a law court and the law court was anything that a king or whatever, um, they, the, the law court, the, the rulings there was based on what the 
king or whoever made law in the statutes. So that was that was that. Those rulings there were based on what was written as, you know, the king has declared that whatever, you know. Then there was a second type of court, and that was the equity court. And the equity court dealt with anything that a statute or a law did not cover, and the judge basically created law in these equity courts because he dealt with areas that uh, you could say fell between the cracks or you know didn't uh, violate anything in the law court. Now this tradition from the equity courts became what we call today common law. Now, common law is not the same as natural law or whatever, but common law uh, tr traditionally has no statutory basis. But common law is based on court tradition of what a judge ruled and his decision, and they would follow that. Now, um, it was supposedly represented the custom of the people and the courts of the day. Um, but that's that's what that is. Is law courts and equity courts, those together, you have your common law tradition and the tradition of the courts and creating based on previous rulings. Well, well the equity courts handled um, lawsuits with with remedies other than damages. I, I don't. I'm not that familiar with, with with the foundations of English law to know that that came from that that was the evolution of common law alone. I think that common law had a deeper root than that, but that's a topic for another evening, probably. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's I mean, this that's just uh, that's just historical fact. Common law is based on common tradition of the courts, of the rulings of the courts. It's court tradition, and so a, a, a judge on on something that there was not a straight up statutory issue or something or law in a law court, a judge would judge the issue, but he would look into case any cases previous like that that had been ruled upon, and he would base his ruling, well, he would try to follow that tradition. Now, right. well, common law, that's right. Common law is based on custom, local custom, as well as what's called judicial, judicial precedent. But judicial precedent in common law is supposed to be based on local custom, the customs of the people, rather than oh yeah, the the ruling of the judge. Yeah, the judge he would make his decision if, uh, especially if there wasn't already a case similar to one that he was hearing at the time. Yeah, he would. He well, you're supposed to. He would make his ruling based on the local tradition of the of the. That local community's culture, yes, absolutely. But but in any event, we're we're, we're basically off the off of the um, the topic at hand, which should be that God's law should be the 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 um, the ideal that all Christians should conform themselves to, and not these laws of man. And we have to deal with the laws of man, and that's fine. But we shouldn't seek to uphold these ideas, uphold the bureaucracies, or, or legitimize the bureaucracies, bureaucracies that enforce these laws. We should seek to conform ourselves to God's law and, and live in a relative state of um, apathy to, to the government system. We should be oblivious to a lot of the government system. 
unless we, we, we ourselves have to do something in, in order to satisfy a need, we shouldn't give much attention to the government system at all. And we should seek the kingdom of God. And, and that's a, a, um, a, a wealth and strong, a worldview that even many identity Christians lack. Right, and then that's, of course, the, the, the point of the, tonight's program, was we want to point that out to them so that they can uh, you know, consider, reconsider, and say, well, you know, we need to let go of in, any of my – well, my Walton Shaw, my worldview should be based strictly – we call it your life philosophy or whatever, but it should be based strictly on the Scripture and not tradition of men, whether it's – Birth certificates, marriage licenses, birth, uh, baptismal certificates, uh, any of that craziness, or any 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 traditions or, or made up of men. Just because something is, um, you got to get a driver's license or something, doesn't mean that it's immoral not to get a driver's license. Not in, it just it's not a sin, in other words. No, absolutely not. And, and, and the only sins that Christians should judge their brethren for are violations of God's law. Amen. That's exactly right. Okay. I, I hope this um, program fulfilled our purpose. Thank you for joining me tonight. And uh, um, Thank you for having me. Well, we'll end it here. It's already gone just about two hours. I will be here on, um, on Friday with 1 Corinthians part 18. And, and um, I'm not sure the subtitle of the program, but 1 Corinthians part chapter 15 in Paul's epistle is what we'll be discussing. We'll pick off from where we left off with verse 24 last night. And, and I think it'll be an interesting subject because we will seek to elucidate Paul's um, idea of the creation of the spirit and the birth of the Adamic spirit of each individual Adamic spirit in relation to the birth of the flesh. There's a contention in Christian identity, which was actually, I believe, begun with Wesley Swift, who concocted this idea that the spirit of a man exists before his body, that is not what the scripture teaches, and we will see that in Paul's epistles, Yahweh willing, on Friday. Next Saturday, I will announce on the event schedule at Christagenia, it'll probably be the, um, the next segment of the life, Martin Luther in Life and Death, but we will be talking about the dragon that Luther attempted to slay, the evils of the, um, the papacy at Luther's time, and, and hopefully that will help us understand both Martin Luther's contention with the papacy and the Catholic Church and the aftermath of the birth of Lutheranism, and, and the, um, which led to the Reformation and also the destruction of medieval Germany. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.